That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of That's What She Said. I am newly back from my one-year wedding anniversary trip to Paris, which was magical and wonderful. And you will notice that my voice sounds better now than it does in the interviews, and that's because I recorded them just before I left when I was in a frantic frenzy trying to get everything accomplished before I left for vacation, and I had a mild case of party voice in addition to not sleeping and working too hard voice. And now, of course, I return rested and ready to get back into the swing of things, or at least attempt to. I have to say that spending about five days with very little interest in the news or sports or Twitter was uh, essential and helpful, um, but it did make it much more difficult to come back and read uh, various headlines about the many issues going on in our country and in our world. And I'm not going to run away from that stuff, but I did think that it was a good mental health break for me and maybe something I should consider more often. But not right now, because we have a conversation to be had about tickets, ticket prices, where you get them, what teams are doing, what fans are doing. So I enlisted the help of ESPN sports business expert Darren Ravel and also called upon the founder of a new company called ShoeWin that is trying to take a different tack in terms of getting fans face value tickets for the biggest and most tough to get into events. Learned a lot. Hope you do, too. Here it is. That's what she said. Happy to be joined by ESPN Sports Business reporter Darren Ravel uh, to get a general idea of the ticket market, ticket costs, prices, secondary markets, uh, market disruptors, as sports fans are constantly complaining about whether it's their own team rising ticket prices or uh, how much it costs to buy them on the secondary market if you miss that first round. So there's really two issues there, Darren. One of them is people frustrated with their own teams raising the face value prices and then obviously having to go to resale sites. So let's start with the teams themselves. Um, here in Chicago, it's pretty obvious. Cubs and Blackhawks win titles. Season ticket holders season and, and, and single ticket buyers see a rise in ticket prices pretty much every year. Do you see anything that would cause an actual cap to rising costs for teams that are actually no, successful? No. I, fans continue to you know, complain and say it's outrageous, it's ridiculous. Um, and I'm sure that some fans cycle out. But for the most part, we've seen that Pro sports teams get about in between 88 and, I guess, the Warriors, 99% renewal. Um, So the reason that they continue to go up and up and up is certainly there's trial here in terms of the team saying we're going to put it uh, at this price, and there's not much error in terms of, you know, there's not 50% of their current season ticket base moving away. Um, so again, there's there's the complaints. There might be some sort of cycle out, but for the most part, teams have found someone to fill that spot if the 25-year ticket holder decides enough is enough. So have we seen markets where a team guessed wrong on how much willing people yeah, are willing to pay? Yeah, all, in New York has been the biggest guess wrong. Uh, I think it was 2008, Yankee Stadium opened. Um, the new Yankee Stadium, they complete. They basically looked at the marketplace of secondary tickets and said, "We're going to charge that for face." And certainly, the big ticket seats kind of failed. And the way that the Yankees then 
rectified that the following year was to say, hey, if you have one of these seats, you get two free somewhere else. So they didn't want to show that they were going to drop it massively. They said, we'll give you kind of a better value. Um, then the Jets and Giants with MetLife, um, one of them had full PSLs, one didn't. But for the most part, the difference was that the Giants won and the Jets didn't. And the Jets kind of, uh, you know, that, that ticket price uh, came actually came down over time. Um, but it seems like it's few and far between. And it seems like, you know, the New York market there made big bets and kind of lost out. Um, Yankees kind of then got a little bit more relevant. And, you know, as you win, uh, the chance for, you know, you to charge more money uh, is going to be there. Plus, you have the secondary market. Um, now, the one wrinkle here is uh, how much do the teams let you sell the tickets? And most teams say that the tickets are a a lease. You don't have the right you, – you haven't bought the tickets. You've basically leased the right to sit in the seat instead of it's not for what you want to do with it. The team has the right to do that. And so people have now gotten their tickets taken away because they say, well, you've sold most of your tickets. So the season ticket as a proposition has gotten to be, even though people keep renewing, I think it's gotten to be a, a, a trickier proposition because, you know, if, if the teams are going to say you can't sell a certain percentage of your tickets, you know, what are you to do nowadays to, to get the price where you want it to be? Yeah, and and at first you sort of understand the team wants its own fans in those seats and it doesn't want people buying up season tickets to then resell them. On the other hand, mm-hmm. there's people who really slogged through the our tough times fans. and paid when they but were bad. Fans. Yeah, and then That's they the just want to sell a couple when they're good so they can offset the cost yeah. of all those years they kept them when they were bad. Yeah, I mean that that that's the main problem I have where where you're saying, well, you're determining that someone's essentially a broker because they've sold 50% of their tickets. Uh, you know, okay, maybe that's most situations, but we all live very busy lives nowadays and it's a little uh unrealistic to say, okay, let's say you know, you're going to go to f- even 40 games is tough. But you want to get, you want to always say you have season tickets. You always want to sit in the same spot. You don't want to have to scramble. I mean, there's there's something to be said for, for for that. And so I think teams have sometimes that's where teams I think have really missed in that they've come up with a definition of what a broker is based on who sold what, and it really shouldn't be that way. The person's maybe a legitimate fan who just has a busy life but just likes the the steadiness of sitting in a seat. So how do they find out most of the time? Do they literally go to the seats and see who's in them? No. Most of the time, they are teams are now actively looking at um, what is posted. Um, so they are scouring um, StubHub and Vivid and looking at who's posting and you know, looking at the seat numbers. And, and they'll just mark kind them of down figuring every out. time and yeah. see if there's a trend. Yeah, figuring out. Now... Huh. You know, StubHub StubHub has like a, a back-end system. Um, it's not like they're clicking on every single thing. I think StubHub and, and some of these guys work with teams. It, so it's not, not as labor-intensive as you might think. But, yeah, they, they know if someone's selling 30 40 50% of the time, they know it. And, you know, the teams are, are interested in that. Um, so... 
you know, it's 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 a very volatile business. It's probably the most intriguing thing I've covered over 17 years. Um, it is it, it, the amount of people who are in it, who are out of it. And then kind of the, the big thing is um, the idea of ticket brokers. And when there are brokers, how do you trust it? And when markets go crazy, is the transparency that is online, right? You think you can see all the tickets that are available. Is that really transparent or is it just a game brokers are playing? Right. Well, in PSLs, you mentioned that to me, I can't think of a single reason other than greed by on behalf of the teams for those to exist. Yeah, the P, I mean, the PSLs have, you know, you, you look at uh, Levi Stadium right now and, uh, you know, for the 49ers and they had as high as $80,000 for a PSL. And, uh, you know, they were able to sell all of them. And that was at the perfect height of, you know, when they were winning conference titles, when they were going to Super Bowl. And now, you know, look at it. Um, and, by the way, the way the relationship works is basically you pay the, the PSL, and that gives you the right to buy, essentially, I think most of them are 10 years worth of tickets. And there are now brokers and even fans who say even after they plop down that PSL, you know, should I walk away because right. it's not worth me? I've maybe paid something up front and I might still finance it for the ne- next six or seven years, but it's just not worth the season ticket price because the PSL, the, the, the personal seat license, has nothing to do with the actual cost of tickets itself. So NFL teams have done a good job of getting people to buy the PSL and you talk about the raising of ticket prices the fact that they've been able to have that as a business where you pay for the right to buy your ticket is amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the demand is there for so many places and uh, there are some teams that will consistently be able to get away with raising costs almost every year. But does it feel like teams or leagues care or are affected by the plight of the everyday fan who can't afford to go? Is there any sort of PR or optics issue for, for sports? Okay. Teams? That's a good, that, that's a great question. Um, so, so the que- the question really for me has always been: Do you care if you have a blue collar or white collar fan, right? And if you are a blue collar team in a blue collar area, do you care if it shifts to white collar? And and do you care if you're selling that ticket and the corporation only fills them three out of every let's, let's say if it's baseball, three out of every eight home games? The corporation fills it. But you sold the ticket. But, you know, I mean, that's what you see behind home plate sometimes. Um, Thank God there's Marlins, man. But, um, (laughs) you know, I I think that's a question that teams don't consider enough. They're so into raising the prices, getting what they can get, and then when something changes over and they have more of a corporate uh, fan or a company buying tickets, they show up less. And they cheer less on the mo- for the most part versus yeah. a average fan. Different energy. So is that worth it to you? Do have we over time? And I haven't seen any study on this, but have we over time lost home field advantage as a result of the rising ticket prices because there's a fan sitting there, but maybe that maybe that fan's not sitting there because it's just purchased and a company throws it in their drawer and doesn't use it, or it's the guy in the suit you know, and is not the person in the face paint and the, and the jersey. So I don't think any teams have really 
done studies on it, and I think most teams don't think about it because it's all about the sale. I'll say this. Because of, in football, the national TV rights sharing, revenue sharing agreement, each team this year is going to make about $250 million each from that. That dwarfs ticket sales. So at some point when ticket sales are only 15% of your revenue, because you're getting so much from TV and media and everything else, you do care less about who's in your seats. They won't ever say that, but the, the, the line item and the budget and the guys crunching the numbers care less about the fan and the seats because it's a smaller piece of the pie. Right. So on the other end of the spectrum, we have the teams that have to get creative because they can't fill the seats. There's one right now, the Padres. They're doing the five-win pass. So you pay 99 bucks. It gets you into every June game until the team has hit five wins. So if you buy the pass and you see the first five wins in June, that might mean 16 games that you get to see before they hit five, or they might win five in a row, which is very unlikely considering this Padres team, but it is possible. <laughs> uh, do you like this promotion? Do you like the idea behind this? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I've seen it before, um, and obviously the month promotions, I think the White Sox were pretty much the first ones to do the month promotions because it wasn't the greatest in April and May right. in terms of weather. Um, I, I do like it. And and the Padres actually are very aware of who's coming into their park for what. Um, they they have a dinner crowd that comes in for night games that is clearly there just to eat dinner and sit in a garden. That right. happens to be a baseball. No, um, <laughs> they, I think it's like two or three percent. And the reason, and so what they what the Padres did, and this is an example of how how you have to work hard to sell a ticket is they have the best craft beer in one area in San Diego, and they care about craft beer there, then you can get anywhere. So if you want to, and then they've, they've paired it with the food, and they've brought the best of the food in San Diego into their ballpark. So there are people who say, I don't care about baseball, but wouldn't it be nice to have a couple beers and get a couple of the best that San Diego has to offer in food, and let's do it. And they know that. So... Yes, that you know the creativity when the major leagues have to go to the minor league level, and it seems like even good teams have to do that now. Even though we've said season tickets are selling, you know, there's 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 always some sort of baseball. The number of dates, yeah, is just impossible. And, and so, day games and so those stuff. guys have had to get very very creative. They don't like to ever lower the price or show. I do see that there are fewer teams that are putting the ticket price on the ticket now which is interesting. So there is some sensitivity to that. But well, for season ticket holders, you'd imagine. And that's that... why the Padres do that. Right. They don't want to say it could be you know, $3 or whatever. They just want to you to figure out the math. Or the Mets do a promotion that says, we'll take off whatever it is you know, based on how many home runs we have. So for the next two homestands. So that's another way they get around it. So teams are fighting technology, too, because a lot of people would rather sit at home and have cheaper beer, cheaper food, access to bathrooms, no transportation, parking, etc. Um, does it seem like that is affecting teams at all or that they're worried at all about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the NFL teams, even though attendance, if you look at it over the past four or five years, goes down like, you know, one percent. I think the NFL's very scared of that because the TV product is so good and, and Red Zone is so good. People are actually scared to leave their house 
if they're NFL. I mean, I think NFL and college football are really the ones that are in trouble because there are more people who are fans of the general NFL. It's not just your – with baseball and hockey, and I don't know if you agree here, but with baseball and hockey in particular, it's pretty much like your team. Like you're yeah. not going to really watch – just like the average person is not going to watch just like league games. I'm a fan well, some of some of that is NHL number of games. It's fantasy football. It's, it's all the games much, being right. at once. It's the, it's the idea of your right. Saturday is all football. Yeah. So 100%. college football, right. In college football and, and the NFL, you want to see other games. So I think where they're in trouble is it's not that people are, people are actually scared to leave their house because they have to ask this question. Am I so interested in the game I'm going to that I'm going to miss everything for the rest of the day? Mm-hmm. And maybe 10 years ago it was possible to do that if you turned off your phone. Now it's impossible. So you can't, you, you, you can't DVR and watch a game after. Or there's, there's, it's either you choose to go and you'll miss things. And, and, yes, you'll still miss things because no matter what, the promises of Wi-Fi at the stadium are not as good as they had hoped. Um, they always do these tests, and then fans fill it up, and it changes. So I, I think there's a certainly with with football, uh, that's a that's a big thing because I don't think they've ever had to fight the attendance uh, before. And then there's certain things that have happened with like you know college football, in, in particular, where they've pushed the kids all the way to the upper levels of the stadium for the most part because they were getting so much for boosters. And then, you know, recently people have said, wait a second, kids don't want to go. Yeah, they can't see the game. And now the problem is if kids don't want to go when they're attending the school, your next generation of boosters is not going to be there. And people started to connect that. And then, you know, you see Arizona do the entire sideline from the 20 to 20 with the kids. And so their college is also adjusting to selling out to the short-term booster and, and kill, killing the, the, the student and now kind of reversing that. So there's a, a lot of things that are going on. Timeout. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on for the teams trying to sell the tickets, for secondhand ticket sellers, for fans, and also market disruptors, like my next guest, Brisa Tronquero, who's one of the founders of ShoeWin, a company that launched last year. We'll check in with her about her concept, and then we'll get back to Darren Ravel and see what he thinks about the idea. Let's welcome in Brisa Trancaro, a two-time Tony Award-winning entertainment, sports, and tech entrepreneur. She's the CEO and founder of ShoeWin, which aims to democratize access to the hottest events in sports by enabling fans to buy team-based reservations to events before they even happen. Uh, for the last 16 years, she built a multi-million dollar entertainment investing portfolio, including investing in the record-breaking hit Hamilton, as well as Tony Award-winning shows like Beautiful, The Carol King Musical, Pippin, and others. Also founded a profitable boutique publishing house and successful entrepreneurial track record it has earned her top 40, under 40 business leader awards. So I appreciate you making time, Brisa. And I wonder, how did you decide to make the leap from investing in entertainment and specifically musicals to founding and launching Shoein last year? Well, thanks for having me, Sarah. And uh, it does sound like a leap when you put it that way, but actually moving from Broadway to sports was actually a very natural progression because at the end of the day, my whole background and passion is in live entertainment. And whether it's a Broadway show or the Super Bowl, it's all the business of live entertainment, the business of ticketing, the business of getting fans in the door or you know what we say in the industry, butts and seats. 
And uh, so moving from the business of Broadway to the business of sports uh, actually felt very natural. Did it feel as though there was ticketing? I know for for sure Hamilton felt like the NBA Finals, right, as far as getting a ticket. Broadway's always tough, but was that a moment there with Hamilton where you realized uh, that this was an issue across all platforms? Yeah, I had definitely started to get that impression with some of the other shows I had been involved in that were big hits like Beautiful. But it really, Hamilton was really the, the biggest illustration of how hard it is for real fans to get into these events. And, and I was really feeling the pinch from both sides because, you know, I couldn't bring my family to the show because they couldn't afford $5,000 tickets. But also for me as an investor in the show, I wasn't getting that upside because brokers and bots were coming in. It's been very well publicized and, and buying up thousands of tickets you know, within seconds of the tickets going on sale. And so, you know, as an investor, I wasn't seeing that revenue. And, you know, as a fan, I wasn't able to get tickets for, you know, all my friends and family. So it, it really is a problem. And Hamilton is just the tip of the iceberg for, you know, the fact that in every other industry, technology has made the consumer experience easier. You know, it's taken out the middleman. It's, you know, all these apps and things that make you able to get direct access to stuff. But in ticketing, it created this loophole for these bots to really abuse the system. And, and it's it's been very damaging for fans. Yeah, it's actually created a whole second business where people make exactly. a living on that middle middleman area uh, which is which then makes fans more frustrated. I know sports fans with the teams, even though it's not the teams that are benefiting when these ticket prices are double face value. Um, of course, right. they play their own part in raising tickets, you know, every year and squeezing out fans. But then add on to that those additional fees if you can't get the face value price, and it reflects badly on the team itself, even if they're not the ones making that extra money. Yeah, I mean, and the, the teams raising the ticket prices is really one of the few things that they can do to try to to get the secondary market out. And, I mean, they've, they've been going to great lengths because the teams understand the frustration that the fans are going through. And, you know, the people who are coming in, these these third-party brokers who, who aren't partnering with the teams but are just coming in and abusing the system aren't, aren't helping anyone. They couldn't care less about the team or the show. They're, they're just in it to make money. So tell me how shoe-in works. So with shoe-in... We actually allow fans to lock in a reservation for a face value ticket to a big game. So, uh, well, you know, you're, I'm, I know a huge Cubs fan. So you could have come on to shoe in last season and put down 20 bucks to say, if the Cubs make it to the World Series, I have locked in a ticket you could buy for each of the home games. And if the Cubs make it, you've locked in face value plus your $20 shoe in reservation fee. If they don't make it, you're just out your 20 bucks. So mm. for fans, you know, as you know, that, that would have been a massive thousands and thousands of dollars savings because locking in a face value ticket for, you know, a $20 reservation is a great deal. And we've done a bunch of markets in the college football space and we have thousands of happy shoe and fans that were able to get into those games for face value. So, there, I assume, is a certain limit of those that you can sell, the reservations you can sell, um, and who decides that? The the either the whoever's running the Big Ten championship, whoever's running the Super Bowl, whoever's running the World Series. Yeah, so we partner directly with the teams and leagues because they love 
the shoe and reservation concept because fans love it. And so it's it's a very positive experience for fans to be able to really take back control of accessing these tickets. Because, as you know, as a fan, if your team makes it into a championship or a playoff, it's the best and worst thing to ever happen to you. Because on one hand, your team made it. On the other hand, you're scrambling to get tickets. And so when you can come on a shoe-in platform, you know, a year before the game, you know, or before the season even starts, and lock in, you know, you can sleep at night knowing that you have that reservation. So we actually partner directly with, the leagues and with the teams to get an allocation of tickets so that the fan knows that if they've bought a reservation, they are absolutely guaranteed a ticket and it's coming directly from the team. Okay. So what if I decide to buy, is there a limit on how many I can buy reservations? Yes. So it's usually four because we want to encourage, you know, this is a great tool for more families to be able to get into games. You know, imagine that actually bringing able to bring a family of four to a playoff game. <laughs> so, right, so but we, we do limit it because we don't want people coming in and abusing our system. Yeah. So that's my, that was my question. So let's say I buy four tickets to the world series and maybe I actually did intend to go if the Cubs were in it, but they don't make it. And now I have that reservation. I know I'm avail. I'm able to sell it on the shoe and marketplace, right? couldn't I then drive the price up and sell it for as much as I want? And then now you've just created another place where there's a secondary up, like ticket market above face value. So the shoe and market is what we call the pre-primary market. So we only work on, on the reservation side of it. So you would buy your reservation at the beginning of the season for the Cubs and, and maybe it would start at 20 bucks. But as the season goes on and the Cubs get more likely to go, you could trade that reservation on on our system. It's very gamified. It's very fun. And then the second that the Cubs, you know, clinch the, you know, the, we're going to the World Series. We know this is happening. Our markets actually close, and we direct you to the team to actually buy your tickets. And then what you do with your ticket after that is up to you, but we put a lot of energy into making sure that the people on our system are real fans who really do intend to go to the games. So when you, you said that as, as the season goes on, if it looks more likely that the Cubs will be in it, um, your, so the reservation is for whoever makes it, no matter what. So if it doesn't matter it's, which no, it's team. No, team-based. If you buy a Cubs oh, reservation, okay. you only, only get a good ticket if the Cubs, Cubs make go. it. Got yeah. it. Okay. And if, and as it gets closer and closer and it appears as though the Cubs are going to make it, your reservation is worth more because you are you are sure to get tickets in a space that most people are going to be paying above face value for. So Exactly. You can resell your reservation for more than the $20 you paid? Exactly. To other, another fan. If another fan says, you know, I really want to go. Because and that's the on the, mar- and on the shoe-in marketplace. Yes, exactly. And, and it's still a huge deal for the fan who actually gets to go to the game. And, and that's how the model works, because we're selling reservations to fans of all the different team bases. So any individual fan is only maybe out 20 or 50 bucks, and that's worth it to them. And that's how we basically make it possible for the fans that do go to go at face value. So when they resell that reservation on the marketplace... Does Shuwin get a percentage of that transaction? Yeah. So if they resell it for two hundred or five hundred or whatever, then your end makes a percentage of that resale. Exactly. So the benefit for you is that you'll get twenty dollars from fans of all different teams, many of which aren't going to make it, and then you get a percentage of those transactions between 
reservation sellers and buyers. Right. And and the revenue that we make, we share with the teams. So they're able to you know, share in that revenue. But for a fan to be able to get a face value ticket for a $20 reservation right. is huge savings. As opposed, you know, they'll go for $20 plus the $400 you know, World Series ticket that's you know, $4,000 on the secondary market. It's a huge savings. A fan yeah. will buy a reservation year over year just, just in case. Yeah, just for 20 bucks, which is not, a, yeah. not a, a big loss. So do you have to buy it before the season begins? Or if there is a set allotment per team and it hasn't sold out before the season begins, you could a month or two in buy a reservation? Yeah, the markets are open all season long. The reservations obviously are cheapest before the season starts because, you know, who knows how the season's going to go and how a team is going to play. And we also want to reward the most loyal fans. So if you are a diehard fan, you're going to come in every year and just buy the reservation at the beginning of the season because you know it's going to be the lowest price and and you just know you have to be at that game. If you, you know, aren't sure, you'll come in later in the season, maybe pay a little more for the reservation, but at that point you'll have a better sense of the odds. So... Does the reservation cost more direct from shoe-in later in the season, or by that point is the presumption that you will have to be buying from someone who already owns one? Generally, for especially for the hottest teams, the markets sell out very quickly. Yeah. But you do raise prices on reservations deeper in a season if if it's more likely that team is going to attend and you haven't sold them out yet. Yeah, but they always stay extremely low right but that's just because now the the profit is the odds are more likely that you're that's going to be used versus not exactly and so what what teams and leagues have have sort of gotten on board and is this a team by team basis or does the whole league mandate that the teams all participate uh well we work at both the team and the league level because the leagues have tickets that they'll allocate to shoe in and then each team can also put inventory into the system and we right now we have a deep penetration in the college football space we have a great relationship with the big 10 they were our first pilot market and it was hugely successful so they signed up again we have a, a big user base now in the college football space that i mean we get emails every day from fans saying you know when are you launching the market for the big 10 championship or for the college football championship uh so we have great relationships there and and now we're in the process of uh building out deals with you know, all of the major leagues and teams that you could think of, and the conversations are going really well. So we'll very soon be able to announce some, some big games going live on the market. And what have you heard the most in terms of pushback, if there was a league or team that wasn't on board right away? Because um, I know you said that they like the idea because the fans like it, um, but how do they see that on the other side? How do they, how do they get the credit for deciding to allocate tickets to this? So we don't get a lot of pushback. I mean, usually the the number one thing that these teams and leagues say to us is, well, why wouldn't we do this? This sounds like a no-brainer. The It's just, it, with any new concept in a big industry, you know, there's an adoption rate that is, you know, some teams are quicker to adopt new technology and try new things than others. And so that's, you know, we've been fortunate that we haven't had anybody that comes in and says, you know, no, we'd never do this. They're all really curious. And, and the nice thing is with these teams and leagues, there is a real appetite to try to address the issues with the secondary market. You know, they're, they're looking at all kinds of ways to not only recapture that revenue, but more importantly, to 
just be getting more fans into the game. So when we come in with a solution, they're very interested in hearing what we're doing. And you know, we're making good progress. We're, we're still a new young company. Yeah, it sounds uh, like such a great idea because, you know, I think there we've seen this sort of system work at other places. I know in Chicago, there's this really high end experimental restaurant called Next and they do a reservation system. You you buy a reservation for that restaurant and you pay in advance before you ever get there. And if you can't go, you have to sell it to somebody else. Um, but you pay before you even get there. And it allows them to invest in a way that a regular restaurant has to buy X amount of food and, and pay X amount of labor without any promise that it will be full. Yep. Um, so it, it's interesting to apply that to a ticket system. Yeah, no, I've definitely been following the restaurant model, and I think that's really interesting. And and one of the things we're doing at Shuin is for these big events, especially the destination games like a Super Bowl or a college football championship, is we can sell these reservations against hotel rooms, flights, you know, events around the big game because you know sometimes getting a ticket is just you know part of the challenge. It, it's it's become very, very difficult for these fans to be able to get to these games. And, you know, what we're going to see is fans that are opting out, particularly these young fans that want to lock in a great experience and don't want the headache. And you know, we, the we team, have, their, their concern is that uh, they're going to get paid either way because whether it's ticket brokers or fans buying, the money is still there, but it's the idea of losing out on the people that they most want to serve. Exactly. And that's why the – the positive fan experience and positive fan optics of what we do at Shuin is really appealing to them because we know that these people are their diehard fans and we're getting them into the game. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. This really interesting concept. And I, as obviously last year I would have 100% put down, you know, 20 bucks for four reservations and hoped that they would help me because the, the World Series was certainly yep. much more than base value by the time you got around <laughs> to it. Um, really interesting stuff. I look forward to following along with you guys as, as you continue to grow. Okay, so super interesting concept, right? Let's see what Darren Ravel thinks. So teams don't see the money of the secondary market. They just hear all the belly aching about the cost to get in. So it negatively affects them, and it frustrates them that these secondary markets are making money off of their product simply by being a middleman. And we've sort of accepted that as what you have to do if you do not get in on the ground floor at face value. You have to use your stub hubs and your seat geeks and your everything else. But there's a new company called Shoewin. Um, they sell $20 reservations for big events. If your team ends up making it to that event, World Series, NBA Finals, whatever it is, you're guaranteed a face value ticket. They only sell a certain number. That's how many they've been promised by the league or the team. And if your team doesn't make it, you eat your $20. So have you seen approaches like this before? It's almost like options. Yeah, I've seen it, and it's worked. I think that um, people don't necessarily want what I've seen is people want to know where they're going to sit. They don't want to just, they don't want to just get in. So um, th- th- there is definitely a place for that product, but I think people uh, want to, if their team makes it, they want to know where they're going to sit, when they're going to go. Um, they want to be in control of it. And, you know, obviously it depends on your situation with the Cubs. People are going to spend a ton of money because, you know, they've never been there before. Um, with the Predators now, what we're seeing is, you know, the, the cheapest ticket to the Stanley Cup final in Nashville is $650, $700. Uh, 
um, you know, versus the Warriors, where you know this is the third time they're going to the finals, and it's more like 500, even though it's Silicon Valley. So, I think there is definitely a place for it. The question is whether, as a business, you get enough people from, uh, you know, the teams that don't make it to 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 uh, to make it a good business. Right. And, and and often what happens, I think, is that a lot of people, the, the, the people who are most interested in this are the teams that have the best chance to win. And so if you have 24 team, fan of tw- fans of 24 teams not participating in this because they think their team doesn't have a chance, um, then it's not necessarily the greatest business because you can't make a whole lot of revenue. Yeah, it's not going to work as well in something like the NBA where it feels sort of predestined. Right, right. Um, You'd only buy the Cavs and the Warriors. Right, exactly. Um, but I wonder, too, like if they would need to have a tiered system where your reservation would cost more or you had to be one of the first 20 in order for that reservation to apply to a higher quality ticket in a better location. Um, because I right. do think there are people who are not – who don't have a lot of cash, who will say, I have $20 that I can blow. If this works out, this is the only way I'm going to get in. Um, whereas the richer people are the ones who are going to say, I care where I sit. Yeah, Not I mean, just I've always wondered, you know, I always wonder what the numbers are there. Like, how, do you, is it a gimmick or do you have 150 seats, you know, 200 seats? Um, how much can you possibly, can you possibly get? Um, so, so that's, that's that for me. I mean, uh, listen, um, you look at Alabama and you look at where they are in terms of their disposable income, uh, people in that state, um, and you see that how much they make, which is less than the average uh, makes in, in, in the U.S., maybe like 48000 um a year, and that's gross. And then you think about how many people from the state of Alabama have gone to so many title games, right? and it seems like it's almost impossible but that's what being a fan is you you do what you can you forget about going on vacation you change things you eat less i'm serious you know because this is this is what it is it's 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 your blood you know have you heard about other market disruptors and and ideas that seem to have a possibility of taking hold yeah, I mean, there have been the score bigs of the world, which is basically the, the and they went under. I mean, the, the idea was that teams didn't want to discount their tickets, so they would quietly sell their tickets, you know, get rid of excess inventory to a site like Score Big, and they'd quietly, you know, be able to sell their tickets kind of under the table without discounting. Um, that those guys went bust. Um, you know, it's it's very difficult to compete with the the StubHubs and, and the Ebays of the world. And what we saw was when there were some entrepreneurs who were really making some big bets, we saw the short selling of the Super Bowl um, in Phoenix where essentially guys said they had a ticket, you would then buy that ticket, and then they would go backfill it closer to the game for a lower price. And then when that price wasn't there and everyone was trying to do it, there was a short supply and that yeah. caused a, a disaster. I mean, I was in Phoenix and... That was crazy at the end, you know, tickets selling for nine to $11,000, even the worst seats, because people were, brokers were either going to save their business and say, I'm still going to be in this business, or they weren't going to 
fulfill the orders and and will be ruined forever. So um, I don't. The the big guys are so big. The Ticketmasters, the StubHubs, the the um, Vivid Seats that it's hard to see people stepping into this space in the secondary market. Um, and especially since now these teams are partnering with the secondary market and the information and the data that is coming in, who's, you know, that you'll see more of when uh, it's it's all electronic. They will eventually know whether you're sitting in your seat or not. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's, you know, yeah, there's that, some places the like I mean, the Predators were trying to keep Chicago fans out of Nashville, so they did stuff mm-hmm. like – you know, you're, you're, you have code. to buy tickets for another Credit game. And then the code. Tampa Bay Lightning said you have to have your zip code. Um, do you think right. that more teams will do that in general and require if you buy your seats that you have to go? Because then how do you give them as a gift? How do you end up last minute not being able to go? You know, there's so many issues with that. Yeah, it, 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 seems, it seems a little bit uh, petty. I mean, for the most part, you know, you, you'll, you'll have your crowd. Um, but I, I do think that uh, – What's going to change in ticketing in the next five years is just the immense amount of data that they're going to collect from you sitting in your seat, you having a virtual wallet, um, you, you ordering from your seat, the amount of, you're going to be able to get a, you're going to be able to get your shirt, a shirt at at your seat, a hat at your seat, merchandise. You don't even have to go to the team store. It will be delivered to you. Um, personalization is next and everything that you do at the game, will be monetized and data banked and um, they'll like every other industry they'll know more and more about you I mean for the most part sports it has been behind on that because of you know, who knows who bought the ticket and where they are and if they're the person in the seat right. and uh, I know that the sports world's getting pretty excited on the back end but some of the fans don't like the fact that now now it's going to be kind of a ticket on my phone tied to my credit card and it's just not going to be as easy to transfer yeah. and and also it's harder to get a, a that paper ticket as a souvenir that we all liked when we were growing up and there was a cool game and you put it in some notebook or diary that's not going to exist anymore but yeah, maybe, maybe all the millennials will just get it on their passport take a screen grab it. yeah exactly <laughs> save it in the cloud um yeah well, this is all really super helpful information, and I appreciate you making time. But since this is your first time on my pod, you have one more thing you have to do very quickly. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's right. It's the Spanish Sorry. Inquisition. Nobody expects it. It's the same questions I ask everybody on the pod. Number one, what's the natural talent you wish you were gifted with? Natural talent that I wish I was... I wish I could re. I mean, I could kind of play the piano, but I, I I wish I was like one of those prodigies. Virtuoso on the pianist. piano. Uh, what's your Desert Island album? You can only have one. Uh, my college acapella group album. You would listen to your own group over and over. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's the best answer I've gotten so far. Number three: If you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Hmm. Right now. Um, who would it be right now? Uh, I'd like to see the world from Tom Brady's perspective. Mm, interesting. Uh, number four, what's the most scared you've ever been? Uh, whitewater rafting trip mm. when I was 16. 
I went on a level five whitewater Yikes. rafting trip, which was quite stupid. <laughs> and, you know, did the whole, like, sign away your life. Right. And I, fe- I fell out of the boat swirling like I was in, like, a dishwasher or a washing machine. I was underwater for maybe, like, 25 seconds. The boat hit me in the back of the head that was the next boat oh. and propelled me down. Otherwise, I think it probably would have been dead. I got out of the water. Both contacts were missing, and I lost two teeth. Oh, no. That sounds... But I was alive. Yeah, you made it. That's That's scary. Um, and then I told my mom that I was going on a whitewater rafting trip. So right, right, know. after the after. fact. <laughs> kind of yeah. like my sister told my parents she was going skydiving after she went. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, habit or quality, well. uh, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Uh, I mean, I'm always scared that someone's going to steal my job. I don't, I don't really. <laughs> Fear. I don't look, I don't, I don't look at, I don't look at. Any day, I mean, it's probably to my detriment, but, you know, when something good happens, I'm kind of like on to the next. So. Right. So a lack of complacency and a short yeah. memory for your own success. Right. All right. Last two. What's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Uh, probably patience. <laughs> and finally, what three words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Um. Uh, kind, uh, funny. I know Twitter doesn't think I'm funny. <laughs> um, and uh, they do get a lot of laughs out of you, though. I do, but <laughs> but but they're I'm intending to be funny. And yes. Funny. <laughs> uh, and the last one is um, interesting. Kind, funny, and interesting. Those are good ones. That's what she said. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.